0: You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstar's podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger
1: Bodwin. Thanks again, guys, for tuning in. It's Roger here. I don't need to tell anyone that this crisis is unprecedented, and it's having a devastating effect on this industry. We're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars lost and hundreds of millions of displaced restaurant workers and employees and hospitality industry professionals. The only bright spot is we're all in this together, and it's amazing what this industry is doing to pull together to not only survive, but to succeed on the other end. As uncertain as these times are, we can count on on each other. We need to reach out. To each other and do what we can to help us all pull through. So I'm really excited about today's episode because I'm working with several leading industry professionals on the food service side of the business. And we're gonna be talking about best practices today. We're gonna be talking about financials, getting your house in order, the importance of inventory and cost controls and daily break even. We're gonna be talking about training and cross training. We're gonna be talking about social media and online reviews and putting your best foot forward and staying relevant with your customer. We're going to be talking about menu engineering and so much more, so stay tuned. Today, I am with Mr. Luke Labrie, who is the Chief Marketing Officer at Dennis Paper and Foods. I'm going to be talking to his corporate chef, Mr. Timothy Labonte. With us from Hillcrest Foods are the Chief Operating Officer, Mr. David Ross, and corporate chef and restaurant consultant, Mr. Anthony Hamilton. So we're all in this together. This is a panel discussion, this uh, episode of the Restaurant Rockstars
2: podcast. Stay tuned. You're not going to want to miss it. I'm Luke Labrie. I'm Chief Marketing Officer for Dennis Paper and Food Service in uh, New England.
3: I'm, I'm Tim I'm Labonte. I'm the Corporate Chef for Dennis Paper and Food Service uh, with 30 years chef experience. I'm uh, Dave Ross, uh, Chief Operating
4: Officer of Hillcrest Foods in uh, Cleveland, Ohio.
3: I'm Anthony Hamilton, corporate chef for Hillcrest Foods and
4: restaurant consultant.
1: I'm Roger Bodwin, president of Restaurant Rockstars, uh, restaurant coach, podcast host, and 25-year veteran restaurateur.
2: All right, gentlemen, we are gathered today to talk <laughs> about helping the restaurant industry during this challenging time and that is what to do with this downtime that we are now faced with. How do we make the most of that? You know, is this the right time to hit the reset button? and to really maybe put our minds back in the frame of food service, innovation, focus on our menus, and as um, bombarded as we are right now by the doom and gloom, is this the right time to start just looking at your operation and and making improvements for when things are uh, normal again? And, Roger, I'm going to turn that over to you to kick us off. I
1: absolutely believe that is true. You know, when business is normal or as usual – Operators are really putting out the daily fires. There's a thousand details in running restaurants and it's really hard to find the time to put the fundamentals in place I call them systems and systems are necessary in any business if the owner wishes to have any free time and to improve the business they really have to work on it now so they can decide how or if they work in it in the future no time is more important than now during this crisis when restaurants are idled or they're slowing down or they've shifted to the delivery and and takeout model type thing Now's the time to work on those systems so that when things get back to normal, you can literally improve your successes and profitabilities,
2: not just survive. Are we looking at a good opportunity to address uh, menus and and look at where we can improve uh, our margins?
0: Yeah, you know, as Roger said, this downtime could be a silver lining for a lot of operators. And I know I spent so many years in operations and I always had those nagging projects I was never able to, to get to. Because I was working in my business and not on my business, as Roger alluded to, um, I would definitely look at my engineering worksheets and and really just my business, you know, from top to bottom, to be quite honest with you. Because again, you know, as an operator, what's lagging behind as far as your other systems and procedures are concerned, and and no time better than the present. And and, I mean, step one, obviously, is securing financing. I'm not sure if you guys are hip, but uh, a lot of information came out about the CARES Act today. And they revealed a lot of information about the $350 billion they're going to be loaning out As an operator, I would be uh, hounding the website to find out how to, how to apply, I would be calling my lenders, and once I had that secured, then I'd be free to work on anything else.
2: Is this the right time to think about, you know, making changes from everything from kitchen equipment and layout to, to uh, you know, back of house policies?
3: Yeah, um, I think right now is, is the ideal time, as everybody uh, mentioned, to, to get all these things in order. You know, all my years as a chef, there's always that one thing that I've always said. If I just had a day to do this or two days to get this done, man, I would really change things up. And unfortunately, due to the circumstances, you now have that time again. It's unfortunate that you have that time, but you might as well make the best of it and get these things done. So, yeah, absolutely.
2: Is this the time to go to the mat with with training and and look at how we are doing? Um you know preparing our staff across the board
4: yeah i think just like um all the points we talked about like you know training is something that uh again can fall by the wayside we we deal with you know as i know you guys do as well only deal with independent local operators we're not dealing with national chains so um that you know tends to be operators that are you know can be a little bit more loose in their system, loose in their training and things like that and so we're you know outside of this pandemic we're constantly trying to make sure our operators are are doing the right thing and training their staff and, and uh, through people like Anthony and, and obviously, you know, you know, Tim, you're doing great things uh, you know, there and, and Roger with what you're doing in your podcast, you know, it's um, th- those kind of things are very important all the time. The, the caveat I think in this is that a lot of these restaurants because of the lower volume, um, unless you're doing pizza or you're doing heavy carryout already, you may have gotten rid of a lot of that staff um, through this process. And so that, you know, obviously can be a hindrance to, to your training, because you may only have a core group of people running the restaurant, you know, especially if you're not a restaurant that does a lot of carryout. I mean, I've had, you know, you know literally those operators with, uh, you know, somebody answering the phones and somebody in the kitchen, and, and that's it, you know, what I mean, um, you know, so they're just trying to cling on to everything they can. So while, while training is important, everybody's going to have a different scenario to deal with as far as, you know, who's available
2: to train. Let's, uh, let's jump into our first topic, um, which Roger kicked us off with, which is systems. And, you know, let's, let's do a deep dive into this. Um, I'm sure there's more than one system restaurants should be considering that are going to add to their efficiency and to their profitability.
1: I believe there are four fundamental systems that are important to any restaurant's or hospitality operation success. Number one, cost controls and profit maximization. Number two, menu engineering. Number three, staff training, development, recognition, and rewards. And number four, I call marketing firepower and affinity. Those are the four fundamental systems that I believe every restaurateur should focus on to ensure their greatest success in the business.
3: Yeah, I, I personally think, and good points, Roger. I personally believe that uh, definitely, the from a kitchen perspective, a chef perspective, the first two are are crucial. Um, you know, it's, just I worked for hotels a good majority of, of, my career and most of which they're, they're corporate based. So I'm no stranger to the, the push. You can't put a new menu out unless you have everything properly food cost, uh, costed and implemented into our spreadsheets, which uh, breaks it down and gives you, you know, the rock star, uh, rock star items versus uh, the mules and so on and so forth. But the unfortunate fact is, and, and we all know they're out there, there are restaurants that don't have their, their menus properly costed out um, or they, they might have five years ago. Um, so I I don't think that you can be truly as profitable as you should be or can be unless you take those first one and, and, and step two that you forementioned for sure.
4: Uh, with the local independent operators, I'm always, you know, really shocked at how many do not have their menus costed out properly. Um, because it's such an important thing to find out where you're at, you know, you don't, you know to, to make changes on the menu, to do weekend features, to do anything to further profitize their menu. They, they need to know where you're starting, where your starting point is. And so I think that if anybody's listening to this right now, as a restaurant operator going through this downtime, this is a perfect time to get it all together. Um, you know, because a lot of times either there's, there's, there's programs out there that are already built or there's, or there's ways you can get that information quickly from your distributors um, and so the cost can be updated, but to get everything broken down, that's a lot of work to do, and this is a great time to, to get that, a project like that done.
2: It is a lot of work. It's not just a matter of having the time to do it. Are there other roadblocks that operators put in front of themselves, whether purposefully or not, that prevent them from doing proper costing? Um, you know what what else can we address to ensure that if they decide now to approach it that they don't get hung up on, on something else in their way
1: I believe they're intimidated by the process and it's just one more thing to do. even though they may know it's important to do a lot of people really hate numbers and they're really bad at math especially critical restaurant numbers for whatever reason I just find that to be true in my experience so you know, path of least resistance, let's do what we're good at or what we're comfortable with. But if something, you know, causes them some uncertainty or anxiety,
3: they'll shy away from it.
4: Yeah, they're going to fill their hours with something else. I agree, Roger.
3: Yeah. yep, yeah, 100%. And uh, I guess they could, even though they're, they're they don't love math or whatever the case may be, I think that there's another way as an owner or a chef to look at it in that, you know, it gives you an opportunity to find ways to become comfortable with it. And as a restaurateur, when you're doing these exercises and see how far off you are from where you should be, it might give you some momentum in the, in the future to continue uh, on these, uh, this path.
1: We're not just talking about costing up the menu. We're talking about operators that don't take a regular inventory, or if they are taking inventory, they're simply, you know, figuring out what they need to place this week's order, not calculating their, you know, food, beverage, and labor costs or, or diving deep into that. And that's so critically important as well.
4: Because I look at, we go back to the core of this, if a a restaurant operator is not confident or has some trepidation in getting this started, like I think if we could take a minute here and Anthony, you've got a great story that um, is probably top of mind, uh, where you took in a restaurant operator and helped them through this process on the menu and what the end results were and how that customer ended up, you know, maybe maybe you could give that real quick just to give somebody some motivation to say like, this is real and this can really affect your bottom line. Um, This
0: particular customer hadn't increased their price in, in probably about eight years. Um, and what it came down to was they didn't have a vacation. They didn't have time to work on their business. They didn't, they didn't have the time we need or what Roger's talking to, to allocate towards these systems. Um, by looking at their price of coffee and, and starting with that, because they're a little, little nervous they had a lot of anxiety about raising prices in a very small town and otherwise not very, uh, elastic market, so to speak. Um, they raised their price on coffee, maybe 50 cents and realized the gains within a month. And then they followed my lead for the rest of the menu. And we got them within about 10% of industry average or their benchmarks um, on most of their key items. And what it came down to is at the end of the year, they had maybe 75 to 100000 extra cash flow just by following inflation and raising menu prices. And then they could hire the manager and take the vacations and do all of those things. Really, the simplest process right in front of their face is just getting over that one anxiety hurdle. But getting over that hurdle allows them, again, to have the resources to do the things they need, um, not quite at Rogers level, but, but as close to as they possibly could.
2: It reminds me of a saying that I'm talking to another restaurateur during uh, the podcast I do. um, And he said, you're never going to be able to save your way to profitability. You're never going to be able to shave here and there and grow your business. You have to analyze your menu. You have to look at where your costs are, staff, food, inventory, everything. And you have to not be afraid to increase prices and to charge what your food is worth and, and grow your business accordingly. It's imperative
0: to the process. You can't save the money. You got you got to make more money. Gallon of milk doesn't cost the same as it used to, nor should your menu prices.
2: A lot of people are scared that they will lose customers if they if they increase their menus or if they get rid of a tired menu item that they might not sell a lot of, but yet they're they're buying the product to make it because it's been uh, this classic on their menu for the last 20 years.
0: Yeah, oh, and they were afraid, this particular customer Dave was talking about, said, you know, we don't want to upset so-and-so. Um, and it kind of gave me the, the crossroads of, okay, do you want to upset one person or do you want to disappoint 3,000 people? 3,000 being all your customers when you go out of business because you're afraid to raise prices. So it's better, in my opinion, to upset one customer. And, and quite frankly, just buy his meal or his coffee a couple of times and he'll be happy. Everything's good.
2: Uh, Roger, you mentioned menu engineering as a system to put in place right now. Uh, can you elaborate on that and and maybe give the, the rest of the panel some nuggets they can latch onto in terms of uh, how to start approaching menus?
1: Well, I think several of you are already doing that through your food service supplier role and working with individual client accounts to help them engineer their menu but i'm a huge believer in having the profit spread difference in each item being pennies and not dollars so that you really don't care what the restaurant is selling as long as you're moving all the merchandise and you don't have a waste after a spoilage problem so as a consultant uh, my most recent client here in the state of maine has a busy lunch and dinner place. Obviously, they're not busy now because they're affected by the crisis, but about a month and a half ago when we did this exercise, they had 81 different items on their menu, both lunch and dinner, and they had costed everything out, but they weren't using the data. So, I literally analyzed everything with a product mix report, and I figured out how many of each item they're selling, and I showed them that based on the fact that in each category, most of the biggest sellers or more popular sellers are the low-profit items. This restaurant Left a potential profit of one hundred and eighty three thousand dollars on the table in the last six months alone by virtue of every time they sold this appetizer versus that one they were losing you know five dollar profit on the entree side they were losing ten twelve fifteen dollar profit on the lower profit items versus selling the higher profit items. Their profits were all over the map, and i 'm afraid and you know based on this experience and working with several clients, I see this more frequently. And it's really a frightening statistic that so many restaurants out there haven't designed a menu for three things, variety, appeal to the customer, but also, most importantly, maximum profit. And I think that's where you guys can help as well, you know, with your customers.
2: Tim, can can you weigh in on that? And specifically, um, the, the huge menus, you do a lot of consulting with, with our customers in New England, looking at their menus, and we've seen everything from from 10 items to, as Roger said, 80-plus item menus. That's a lot of those big menus. That's a lot of staff training, right? That's a lot of inventory. That's a lot of time. Um, And to Roger's point, takes away from the customer being able to zero in on a more profitable uh, product. So so where do you start approaching that in conversations with with operators?
3: (coughs) Well, Yes, we, we've all seen the the menus that have 80 plus items. And and to that, I kind of feel that as a consumer, when you go into an establishment like this, and this is kind of getting off path a little bit, but I'll get back. Um, it kind of slows down the process as well. And we're talking about, uh, you know, a bit of profitability and kind of moving diners through. Not, not so they feel like they're being pushed through uh, a line and eat and get out the door, but you know, you're looking at, uh, 80 plus menu items with descriptions, it's like reading a small book and those things take time. So back to the point is I've always been a philosopher of, uh, less is more as far as uh, the menu. Um, you know, a dozen entrees, same thing with appetizers, you know, something that's manageable both for the, the pricing out standpoint, you know, more manageable for for me to dig a little deeper in and manageable for my my staffing purposes as well um this this would just you know make make more sense as far as you know the overall big picture of managing things it, it just gives you less product that you have to deal with and potential waste that you have to deal with at the, at the end and then as i mentioned staffing levels as well
1: makes everything easier There's several things that um, owner operators can do when they realize they have this problem. One, they can drop those lower profit items, even though we discussed earlier that some may be hesitant to do so. They can raise prices on the lower profit items to more meet the higher profit. They can change ingredients or they can change portion sizes or a combination of all of those things. But this is a process, it does take time, it's homework and it's a couple of weeks of work. But in the short term, the most important thing they can do maybe is train their staff once they figure out what the most profitable items are, to recommend those items to their customers every table, every time, and short term, highlight the items on the menu, call them customer favorites, call them most popular, whatever you want to do, draw attention to those items that make the restaurant the most money in the short term while you're re-engineering and doing your homework to provide or produce an all new menu that maximizes profit.
2: Absolutely. All right. So we've already determined that some people are hesitant to approach it for the math. They don't know which systems to put in place or what resources to use to get there where Where do we provide that kick in the butt that hey, now is in this downtime this unfortunate downtime that you have, you should start here and and proceed forward. How do we get them what's step number one, i guess? I think you need to convince them in a very tactful way
1: that they have an issue because as restaurant owners and operators, we're very proud, we're very close to our operation, and they and we think We got this even when we know that we really don't have this. So it's a real delicate, you know, approach that has to happen in order to sort of open their eyes to, hey, we can help you. This is no source of embarrassment. All we're trying to do is improve your operation. We're partners in this. It's all about value added and relationship building. We care about your success. Listen to this. It'll help your business. I mean, that's kind of the first step, I think. Wouldn't you agree?
2: absolutely but let's take it one step further right um people are emotional right now they're Mm -hmm. stressed uh they they want to have their basics provided to them they want to survive right now david i think it's more a question of how do we make them realize how do how do they motivate themselves how do they see what they need to see without being handheld in this because I, i don't know that somebody coming in and saying hey, you need to start looking at this and I'm going to show you what to do is necessarily going to work. I think they need to see the light for themselves and and be self-motivated.
4: Yeah, I always uh, go by the saying, you know, uh, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. So you're not going to you force what you think is right for them onto them. But I, the only time I've ever, you know, it, it's really a sale. At the end of the day, if I was going to role play with you, Luke, it's uh, Hey Luke, you know how a few months back we talked about um, the importance of costing out the menu to see where you're at, your profitability. You know, we've got some time now, um, both of us. <laughs> and uh, you know, you know, uh, you know, why don't why don't we get started on that? I'm willing to I'm willing to spend the time with you to, to get it started, but it's going to take some, you know, blood, sweat, and tears to get through it. But you know what? I, I did it three months ago with this guy, and here was the results: X, Y, Z. You know, and, and, you, and I always like to sell with a success story. Um, if I didn't have one at the time, I made it up. But, you know, I, I, I want to make sure they know, like, this worked, and this can work for you, and this is what's happened, um, and, th- and then try to get them convinced, you know, or motivated to do it.
2: Anthony, to your story, um, what was the tipping point for the customer to- finally decided to increase their menu costs?
4: The tipping point was
0: being like a doctor. Um, and what it comes down to and what I mean by that was when I first approached the, the location and you know, when we consult, we spent some time with the customer. Um, I walked in and started diagnosing all these illnesses and suggested to them what they wanted and today's point it was against their will. It wasn't until I started listening to them and what their pains were that I was able to really diagnose what their issues were, at least diagnose what issues they're gonna be engaged in fixing. Because they had some decorations issues. They had some staffing issues, training issues, and all those things. And as a consultant, you walk in, all these things send red flags and and buzzers off. And you're like, oh, fix this, fix this, fix that. Well, you know what? They didn't know those were problems. or They didn't agree they were problems. It wasn't until they started talking about being cash-strapped that I was able to lead them down the trail of raising menu prices and then convince them otherwise. And then further showing them real data on a sheet saying, hey, look. At your velocity rate of selling these items at this price, if you were to increase this, it would make, you know, make X amount of dollars in your bottom line at the end of the year. Um, and when you show them a gaudy figure, say six figures, and they say, I can do that just by reprinting my menu. And you're like, absolutely. That was really the tipping point. So, again, you know, listening for them to tell me their symptoms before I diagnose the problems or prescribe any medication, then also showing raw data behind it.
2: David, what report should a restaurant ask of their distributor to at least help them get started in this effort?
4: Well I think that um, I always like to make sure that you know when I'm going about this project with a customer, whether it's right now or when things are at full bore, um, you want to make sure they're they're bought into it that you're not just thinking because it's important to you that you know that it's going to be important to them because somebody may be like, yeah, okay, let's do it, but they're not really sold on it so You want to make sure that they're going to put some effort into it and have some skin in the game. So I always like to make sure that I I like to start off with their top, you know, 20 items, 15 to 20 items, and then maybe the top two by by category. Um, so you, so maybe as total, you've got, you know, 20 to 20 to 30 items and let's start there and and see what's going on with some of the top items. Then you can identify, do we want to even, do we want to go farther? Because sometimes you can find enough, you know, there's enough meat on the bone on those top 30 items. That you may not have to go much farther right now. You could do the whole menu later, but but you doing those top items to see what's going on because they could have a really high moving item that they're it's not profitable. They're not making money, you know. So maybe making it smaller up front, um, you know, a smaller project up front can get them bought off earlier. But as far as resources, I mean, you know, they're obviously going to need their pricing from you. They're going to need um, what I used to do before we had um, any outside. Uh, uh, any, any outside companies that, you know, had, had programs already prebuilt and turnkey, like maybe Roger has, I did it on a simple Excel spreadsheet. And I used to literally, if I was competing with other distributors, like I would do my items and then I would say, guys, I'll, I'll do their items too. Just give me the pricing. And I used to do the work, you know, and then I would have the competitors pricing. I would have, you know what I mean? And then, you know, you try to do your sales from there, but, um, you know, but that's how I, uh, that's kind of how I've always gone about it.
2: Excellent. And you, you brought up one of Roger's earlier points, uh, which I want to throw back to him so, because I really think it's important that people get this point. Just because you have a very popular item that you sell a lot of does not necessarily mean that that is adding to your bottom line. Roger, can you elaborate on that so anybody watching this can really bring that home? Every single item on that menu,
1: you need to know what it contributes to the profit You know, and that's as simple as, uh, you know, just comparing what you're charging the customer for it and doing the simple math and figuring out what your profit is per plate to get your food cost on that item. But it's not really about food cost that so many operators confuse. Everyone thinks, oh, I need a low food cost when really you take dollars to the bank and it's really about how much does each contribute to the bottom line, you know, so that's really important. I think you, you save money on food costs by having what I call cash cows on the menu. And a cash cow is something that has a very high perceived value by the customer, yet it costs you very little to serve the customer, but it has wow factor. You serve it to the customer, the camera phones come out, you know, and they say, wow, and you're printing money all day long because suddenly these are very, very popular items. That's what every restaurant needs. And in my book, you can't have too many cash cows. I mean, I think that's the bottom line. And obviously efficiencies, low waste, low spoilage, no theft. This all contributes to a low food cost, but it's really about how much profit is each item making regardless of the food cost.
2: Tim, in your experience, what are some cash cows you've seen in the industry? And what should people be identifying on their menu? And I know it's different for every operation. Everything is different, but there's got to be some sort of way to identify that or something that there's a similarity to that exists in the industry that people
3: can look for. Right. You know, cash cows in my opinion are, you know, like breads and garlic knots and calamari and pasta dishes and, you know, stuffed mushrooms and stuff like that, where, where the platform of it is really inexpensive anyways, being the, the mushroom and the, the calamari, you know, side of truffle fries and stuff like that are, are general very generally very approachable to, to everybody. However, you know, in my opinion, they they can be cash cows only if you have the proper portion control implemented as well. And that's probably a completely different topic, but I think that they're interconnected. You know, you can you can understand and have your your your, your food costed properly. But if you don't have portion control, it's still going to be out of whack at some point. Good point.
2: I think that's a a huge point. And Mm -hmm. Roger, you know, your background in the pizza biz, you must have encountered portion control really early on and gotten a strong handle on that. Because my mother ran a country store for 20 years, and she did portion control so religiously. She had flip cards for the staff because she saw... One day, uh, somebody making a pizza and just flinging cheese on there without weighing it. And I don't want to say she lost it on them, but she corrected their procedure immediately we did as well i mean pizza cheese
1: and toppings are a huge loss for a restaurant because every employee's hand is a different size Mm -hmm. everyone's got a different process or procedure to making it so if you don't have a photograph and an item description of how many pieces of pepperoni go on that pizza and how many ounces of cheese with a portion cup and everything else that goes along with it yeah you're probably giving away the store even though you've costed out that pizza to your formula Somebody else is, you know, blowing that formula out of the water with, you know, too great a portion, you know, 30 pieces of pepperoni when it should have 15. You get the idea. But yeah, it's that simple. But that's not just pizza. It's like every dish on every menu has a portion control or it should. And everything should be photographed and documented. And the training should be just so focused on that with every new employee. And then, you know, veteran employees should be monitored from time to time, just sort of audit the process and make sure even when they think you're not looking, notice. You got to notice, you know, operators are hands-on people, but there's so many details. That's one of the critical things to notice all the time, portion controls, for sure.
0: And and I would talk a lot about line checks. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with line checks at all, but simple spreadsheets where you can go down the line and itemize every station and every prep item on every station from a managerial standpoint to ensure that everything's in line making sure they have their portion cups and their proper portions and that everything's fresh and ready to go for the day's service. You can do that well in advance of service, obviously, but I find that every shift you'll find one, two, three mistakes that could otherwise make or break a meal for a patron. I think that's a huge deal. I'd look at all of those things. Um, and to your point, too, for, as far as the training mechanism that I don't see enough of as many descriptions. And one thing I, that I prided myself on in, while I worked in the industry was writing a novel about each dish. Why that dish is special to us, why that ingredient, the, the, you know, provenance of that ingredient, why it's amazing. What kind of calamari are you using, Tim? Where is it from? Why that's important? Is it fresh, frozen? Is it Point Judith or wherever it is? And explaining that to the service staff who doesn't have that fundamental knowledge of product quality or differentiation and making it interesting, not just a fact sheet, but telling the story, a passionate story about it. So it's ingrained in their memory. Tableside, they're able to put on a much more kind of Professional show without having to say, let me go ask the chef. They can spew that information out and tell you why that calamari is so important. And I can tell you that it, it renders the sales process way more infectious and, and easier for them. Infectious meaning that the customer buys into it a lot easier because they can feel the passion coming from the server.
2: Tim, I know if you had, and then Anthony does spot on. Um, Tim, can you elaborate more on Anthony's spot? And uh, I know that you, uh, given the opportunity, to shut down your kitchen for a few days, as you had mentioned, would, would give you the chance to, you know, get things in order. Where would, you, where would you start if you were looking at this and saying, okay, let's get going? Where would you start?
3: Where would I start? Well, I'm a multitasker. So I would start in three or four different places, but to narrow it down. Um, actually, I wanted to touch base on the previous point, which was all, all great points, but uh, another great thing to be knowledged about is uh, food allergens as well, especially when training the weight staff, you know, those, if they can articulate okay. on what contains nuts, what's gluten free, just uh, to bypass any, uh, any times when they're gonna have to say in the near future, let me go check with the kitchen. You know, this is a good time to, to put up that, with that wall and get everybody trained, you know, in all aspects. But anyways, good point. So back to the kitchen, if I had more time, one thing I've always uh, prided myself on is the, the cleanliness of, of my kitchens. And all of us that have worked in kitchens know how difficult that is, especially when you have a, thro- a thriving, busy environment that's open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. And you're a lot of times doing it with bare minimum staff per budgetary restrictions. So cleanliness is always a big thing. I think that now is a good time to, to cross train people in in that, that cleanliness uh, portion where you can maybe Bill is normally a sauté cook and Bob is usually uh, the grill cook, you know, they kind of flip flop their stations and have them clean one another's stations up. Um, it, it kind of gives you a different sense as, as uh, employees, as staff members. Of what it takes and and how important it is and how much time and effort it takes to bring something from where it is because you didn't normally have time to do it to something that looks like it's brand new and you're walking into a new kitchen. So creating some sort of ownership with the staff through cleaning equipment and uh, deep clean projects, I think is it's kind of imperative and it'll only grow your team a lot more by doing so as well, giving them those really hard tasks that they've never been subjected to before.
2: You know, Tim, Anthony, and Roger, in a sense, you've all said the same thing just now, which is essentially everybody within the operation should know the core of what everybody else is doing, from knowing how to clean a different station than you normally would to knowing. The uh, menu and the description and the passion behind the items between the front of house and the back of the house and being able to talk the talk across the board, that's going to make for a smoother, uh, a, a smoother, more profitable operation overall. Roger, to throw it back to you, uh, system-wise, where would somebody approach this uh, this cross training? Like, especially, and I'm going to I'm going to throw you a curveball with this, right? we can't have all of our staff come into the operations right now. So where do we start in this current situation um, with the, well, let's call it, cross-training?
1: That's a real challenge, and I'm glad you bring that up because in the best of times, it's an investment, not a cost, to cross-train your staff in case mm-hmm. you know the unexpected happens. In my operations, we had dishwashers that could fry cook and we had, you know, line cooks that could work the saute station. And we rotated people around just to keep their jobs interesting. And then when somebody got sick or got the flu or got hit by a bus, it's like we had a backup. So even though it cost a little bit of money up front, I called it an investment because it paid dividends down the road. We also had an on-call system where, you know, you never know when the unexpected in terms of busy happens where suddenly a bus group pulls up and you didn't expect 45 people to walk in during your crush time, that sort of thing. Or maybe it was you know, the end of the evening, and you'd already sent people home. And then all of a sudden, you get a crush of business. We had people on their days off that were in a a fair rotation of on call. And we'll give you an extra incentive. If you're just home watching TV, or doing your laundry, and we call you and you're 10 minutes away, will you come in and everyone agreed to do it. It didn't happen often. But when it did, it saved the restaurant's butt, you know, it was a great thing. But what you do now on on a skeleton crew is is a real challenge. I'm not sure I have an answer to that. I mean, earlier, uh, you know, one of you mentioned, you know, we've got one cook and one person answering the phone. So where's the cross training? How is it even possible? That's that is a challenge. I don't have that answer.
4: Training your staff. Any time you go into a restaurant, as a con- at least I do as a consumer, like you know, um, there's a lot of things that you can overcome as a restaurant. Um, when you, your staff is trained well, because everything's not going to be perfect. Okay. There's going to be things that even you think is perfect, but on the consumer end, they didn't, they didn't, uh, you know, receive it that way. So, you know, a well-trained staff, knowing how to handle customers, knowing how to handle issues, knowing how to talk to customers, knowing how to approach a table, knowing how to, you know, uh, communicate, um, all those things can save a lot of, uh, issues that will happen in a restaurant. Um. You know, so if you do have staff that's there, this this is really um, this is something that again you got to go back and like, what's the success story? What what can you do to motivate somebody to say like, you know what, let's get your training down. Let's spend the time. You know, um, it, it's just like uh, you know, role playing a, a sales call. You got to go in and you and you got to make sure you know how you're going to get that guy motivated or that girl motivated to to get their staff trained. Um, but again, this is a rough time to talk about this. I mean, it's you know, because I mean, what did we have? Uh, I don't even know the numbers of of unemployment. You know, this last two weeks, it's staggering.
1: There's legislation that is being passed as we speak right now that is very optimistic for the future. <coughs> in that, even if Incredibly. a restaurant is closed, it's an SBA 7A loan program that will enable a business to keep their employees on the payroll, and these loans will be forgiven, meaning the business won't have to pay them back, provided they follow those guidelines. If this whole thing goes through. You know, you got to get in line early, but sign up now because chances are you can continue to pay your people what you were paying them before, even though they're not working. Bring them into your restaurant now and train them. That's that's the ultimate solution. No, if all goes in fact, that that number that they generated for those loans, they estimate that would cover
0: all small businesses less than I think 100 or, or 200 employees in the United States for six to eight weeks of payroll. That's how they drive the 350 billion. Um, and also too, is they're extending it the past 7a lenders and going to all smaller lenders too so whoever you're banking with reach out to them right away especially tomorrow and start getting the outlines because they're handing out loans and are waiving all the red tape. Um uh, they're very very high risk for banks but they're backed by the fed as an operator this would be the first thing i do um, i'm watching the news until it passes and i'm getting on the horn call my lender right now because to your point roger i want all my staff in i want to make sure they're all paid because when this thing opens back up, I want to hit the ground running. I don't want to have to deal with all that, those hurdles, you know. Um, but it, it, it is looking very, very optimistic. I hope the, I hope the proof is really in a pudding, like they said it's going to be. Because it's, uh, it's certainly fascinating to watch this go down.
4: It's a hail mary like, for the industry. They need to get in line at the bank and get on a list to make sure they get this through. Because it's going to be first come, first serve. And you cannot wait on this. It, it doesn't depend on credit score. It doesn't depend on anything else there's money out there and it's virtually free and get in line to get it
2: the situation is changing day to day and with the amount of information we're being bombarded with whether it's the nightly news and coronavirus numbers or you know business loans uh, this if we're already wrapped up in the stress of the situation it's it's easy to overlook some of these things so in addition to posting this uh, this content, Uh, I'll find the links to uh, the relevant pieces for people to go sign up. So uh, one thing that I have seen from the current situation is the thing we're doing right now, which is the use of of teleconferencing and and video uh, chat. My recommendation to any operation that is struggling or doesn't have its full staff available to it would be to utilize services like Zoom to have virtual meetings And while you won't be able to train somebody on maybe the equipment cleaning procedure, you will be able to discuss your menu. You will be able to discuss the passion behind your signature dishes. But more importantly than anything else, you will be able to have face-to-face communication where you can maintain a level of uh, enthusiasm, energy, and passion about your business to keep people um, engaged with, with your operation so that when things return to normal, um, you you are not starting from a cold start, right? You, you're you all on the same page. So when, when the restrictions are lifted, you know, you're running in there and you know where you're supposed to get started um, and you can kick things off that way. So my recommendation is to use technology to keep your team connected now so that when you get back in the kitchen, when you get back in the dining room, you're much better prepared to get things moving.
4: All of these things we're talking about, this is a time where restaurants can fine tune all of these things, uh, whether it be the technology you just talked about and, and because this is this is going to be a part of our life in the coming months and years that we're going to have to, uh, you know, deal with, um, you know, so everything that a restaurant can do to get their operations tight now to come out, I equate it to, you know, you, you kind of get an injury, maybe you're in, you're, you're in pro ball, you get an injury, you go down in the minor leagues, you start playing a little bit to get back in shape then you come back up. You know what I mean? Like right now we, you know, we're in the, we're in the minor leagues and we got to fine tune we got to work on fundamentals. And then when we get back up and running, we got to be ready
2: to roll. That's a, that's a great analogy. I love it. I love it. I, don't, I, I know we planned uh, an hour here, so we'll wrap it up with the final thought. And then Roger, it's one of the last systems you talked about. And uh, that's marketing firepower. Even if restaurants aren't open right now, or if they're just focused on the takeout and curbside model, Um, they should still be getting their message out there. In my opinion, they need to stay top of mind with their customers and potential customers. Where do they start doing that, especially if their heads are in other places right now?
1: Well, the obvious answer to that, of course, is social media. Hopefully every restaurant has their own individual social media program and platforms in place where they're regularly posting, keeping in communication with their followers And if they're not an expert at social media, chances are at least one or two employees on any staff are much more adept at it than certain owners are. But again, it's all about communication. The old school way would be to have an email newsletter that constantly goes out, you know, maybe twice a month that is custom branded to that restaurant with your logo in it. It's very professional. You use something like MailChimp or Constant Contact and you just keep in touch with your customers. You let them know what's happening and you appreciate them and just, you know, touch them in a personal way so that they know you're thinking about them even though you're going through hard times and welcome them back as soon as things improve. I mean, it's as basic as
2: that. You can Google or YouTube anything and find out how to do it. If you are sitting out there watching this and you've been afraid to approach social media for whatever reason, now is your time to learn some of the basics. If you have a Facebook account, learn how to boost an ad. Learn how to boost a post and target Uh, a community within a 10 mile radius. That's assignment number one. If you have Facebook and you've got it down pat, start your Instagram account, figure out how you're going to get your message out there with Instagram. Now's the time to approach uh, those things. And I would imagine Anthony in talking to operations, you've, You've addressed some of those some of those same concerns where people just don't sure. know how to get started. What has been your recommendation? Well, thankfully my recommendation is to talk to our social media expert. That's the best thing. <laughs> so that's an easy pass off.
0: We have a couple individuals that, that do a tremendous job within our organization. So I defer to them. I mean, obviously the basics, but the one thing I can tell you about the tone on social media these days, make sure it's community driven, you know. So It's easy to to look real bad by trying to profitize off of this, even though that's what you're trying to do at its core and it's necessary for your business model. Um, You got to find a way to look through a community based lens and and more get PR through the way of leading with empathy, you know, checking in on people um, or or showing yourself doing something cool for the community rather than just broadcasting like your cool special or your cool takeout items, right? Like there's got to be another component. Um, and lastly, the, the coolest idea I've seen um, recently, and I've I you know, done a lot of digging because I, I, I've had many clubs, a lot of answers the last couple of weeks. Um, I, I saw one restaurant that was actually selling items that their grocery store couldn't sell along with their takeout meals. It was especially helping the elderly. And they blasted lasted on their social media. And I can't remember the name of it. But they were selling toilet paper and sanitizers and wipes and things that their distribu- hat, distributor had the grocery store not have. And I thought that was the coolest idea. Like They weren't afraid to differentiate. So order a plate of spaghetti and get some sanitizer, a, a case of water with it. You know, I, I thought that was brilliant. And it was what, a refreshing, you know, social media post. And it certainly stood out from the rest. So a way to gain recognition and, and serve the community at the same time, I, I would say that's, that's a win-win.
3: Oh, I, I agree on all the, the social media platforms. I really like the, uh, the empathetic approach and, and staying current with your, um, your your client base. You know, people definitely want to see what you're doing on a regular basis. You know, these are places that you have regular customers. Those regular customers are used to going and uh, seeing you on a weekly basis, sometimes more than a weekly basis. So in essence, they're kind of family members. So keep them abreast of what's going on, what you're working on, how you're doing, how your team's doing. Cleaning projects, training, whatever it is. They they will be engaged and they will be excited to to hear the, the forward momentum that you're keeping. And they'll be happy to know that you're planning on joining those the force again once once things calm down.
2: If you're painting the dining room, show people that you're painting the dining room.
3: Well, yeah, you know, yeah. let them help you choose a color. color. That's it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. A couple yeah. different color swatches on the wall and to have them, you know, post in which color should we go with? This is your cool. restaurant too. Great ideas.
4: Yeah, I think that, the, you know, with social media, uh, if we're in normal times, we're talking about, you know, first you got to have a presence. You got to have an account. You got to have some content going out. And, and maybe it's not super robust or the best you've ever seen, but people are, uh, you know, it's like a few years back not having a website. You know, I mean, if somebody went to, to Google, you know, somebody said, hey, you should check out the Joe's Bar and Girl And they went to Google it and you didn't have a website. People are like, oh, like, you know, now it's, if you don't have an Instagram account or a Facebook account or whatever it is, it's the same. It's the same uh, reaction. So to have a presence is number one. And I hate to be. Uh, I don't want. I don't want this to come off negative. But if you don't have a presence now, you are probably not doing well. <laughs> um, because, because, because this is the time right now where all that work somebody did, you know, a year, or two years ago, six months ago to build their following and build a community and do all those things that we're talking about, it's paying off now. I've got customers that, you know, with social media and with technology, you know, they, they've got an app uh, that, um, and they have, uh, 10 restaurants and they're very sophisticated operator. And they've got an app that this past Saturday, I'm sorry, this past Sunday, they, they do a big brunch business on the weekends. And so obviously with the restaurant inside being closed down, they have a parking lot to the side of them and they're in kind of a, uh, outdoor shopping mall area. And, um, they put on Instagram, you know, several, you know, tens of thousands of followers. They said, Hey guys, we're doing a a drive up uh, or a drive in brunch. And they had, uh, servers on, uh, roller skates and that's awesome. I I swear to you. And, and, and they blew it up. They had 300 cars. They literally had on the app, it had a place where you could download their Spotify playlist. So all the cars were playing the same music. It was literally like (laughs) a, they said it was like a tailgate and, but, but because they had great social media presence prior because they had an app already to be able to order things, you know, through their app. Um, and they had these things set up prior, it was easy for them to implement that in the first weekend that every restaurant's wondering what the heck to do. These guys killed it. And, um, you know, they were ahead of the game. So if you're, if you don't have that, like don't get discouraged, but don't let this be, you know, don't let this be another time where you let this go by, get on these platforms, learn about them. And and like Luke said, Google, YouTube, find an expert. I mean, find a 15 year old, they'll tell you, they'll show you how to do it. Um, you know, uh you gotta get you gotta get this done now. This is there's no excuses from here on out. Let's take
1: this one step further really quickly, Luke. It's uh it's so important about social media, but so are online reviews. I would go as far as to tell any operator out there that's still doing the takeout delivery model to put a card or a note in every bag saying if you enjoyed your food and your experience, please leave us a review on Google and TripAdvisor and Yelp. You know, it will help us so much because People are quick to leave a bad review, but unless you ask them, rarely do people take the time to go and leave a review. So you really have to ask for it. And I think that pays huge dividends also.
2: That is a fantastic point. Um, It's okay to ask for those reviews, but also to be able to go in If you're managing your Facebook and your Instagram, go check your Yelp, go check your TripAdvisor, make sure your photos are up to date, make sure your menu's up to date, make sure if you're doing this temporary takeout menu, that that's available for people so that when they're searching for what they're going to eat because they're bored of the cans of beans they have at home, they can see your nice offerings right there. And maybe you've even updated the photos on there. People are going to look at your aggregate star rating and your photos and the menu and they're not going to dig a lot deeper before they start um, going in and and choosing what they're going to eat. And with that, if you have a lot of reviews and you haven't responded to those reviews in the past, use the downtime to go respond to reviews. And it might be overwhelming to think, oh, that's a lot of reviews to go write, oh, thank you for your comment on every one of them. You know, my rule of thumb Respond to the most detailed reviews, both positive and negative. Be detailed in return, um, and your customers will see that. It it comes through as a caring uh, empathy for your business, and they will respond in kind. Uh, So fantastic advice, gentlemen, on on all fronts. I want to wrap it up with closing thoughts from everybody. Before I I go, we're going to go right down the line. We'll go Roger, Anthony. Uh, David, and we'll wrap it up with Tim. Um, my big takeaways, and I made a few notes here. You know, analyze your menu for your profitable items. Look for those cash cows, uh, and look for the bottom line where it's you know really uh, adding to your profitability, and might not just uh, occur across the popular items. Um, portion control and systems in back of house. I mean, now is the time to start correcting things that might not have been in place before and, and building team training into your, your culture, building passion across the board. And to take um, what Roger was saying um, and, and use it an analogy, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, Cross-train your staff so that you have flexibility should situations like this arise and you need to swap out your fry cook for your dishwasher. So, Roger, closing thoughts on on this uh, segment.
1: The most important thing that we didn't touch on goes back to financials, and in the best of times or the worst of times, every operator absolutely absolutely needs to know their daily break even sales number. Especially those that are pivoting from closed entirely. You know, they're closing their dine in service to do the takeout delivery model chances are they're not you know, meeting that daily break even every single day of the week. They're going to lose less money by closing a day or two and trying to operate seven days a week. So they really need to know what that is.
4: Yeah, I think, uh, I think right now, um, I think the biggest thing is, uh, is confidence, faith, and, and working hard. You know, we're going to get through this as an industry. We're going to get through it as individuals. There's going to be some casualties, but uh, we got to stay strong-minded. We got to stay positive and and get through this uh, pandemic and this crisis. The restaurant industry will continue and will thrive beyond, you know, uh, the coronavirus. And uh, so just, you know, keep working hard, do what you got to do. Let's get through this. And we're going to come out of this stronger, the, the great operators and the people that do the things that we're addressing in this uh, segment. Um, are going to come out stronger and 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 above and beyond what maybe other operators that aren't aren't taking these things seriously
0: yeah um again cloud with silver lining guy over here i would definitely look at the opportunity to uh hit the reset button here i'm talking about cleaning it up and then moving forward keep it very very simple as far as my operations as far as my systems and and just the way i do business in general
3: yeah as uh, everybody pointed out there's uh in all good points there's there's no better time than now um, you know, there's, there's a lot that you can be doing to be proactive, uh, whether that be standardizing, uh, cross training or attacking the, the social media platform, anything that you can do right now, especially things that you're not comfortable normally doing, whether it be costing out your menu properly, cross training or social media, the more you can do right now, the better off you're going to be coming out of this because you'll be Hitting the road running and you're, you're going to be comfortable with all these things once you hit the other side
2: so.
3: I would add to
2: um, Now more than ever is the most valuable time to use video in your social media efforts Netflix is for when things are normal, right? Nobody's watching Netflix right now. Everybody's watching social media They want to see what's happening in the world. They want to see what their neighbors are doing how the world is reacting to this, and they're joining quarantine karaoke groups. If you aren't putting video out on your social media platforms right now, you're missing a huge opportunity. Um, so that is that is probably my best piece of advice for any operation out there right now is start making video. And coming from somebody who started a podcast from zero right, and learned how to do it by Googling it and YouTubing it to find out how to edit the audio files and where to put them in, into the into the cloud. It's rough at first, but nobody cares. You, the harshest critic you're gonna have when you get started is yourself. So just start doing it. And to David's point, um, it's a, you, you basically gave the proverb of uh, the best time to plant a tree is 35 years ago, the second best time is now. So just get started. Gentlemen, this has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, I think we've got some golden takeaways, and I really appreciate you taking the time out of your days. and I know we've got a lot on our plates to get this information out there to operators and we will get this out and online just as soon as possible.
1: Guys, we sincerely hope that this episode was actionable and full of nuggets of information that will help you improve your business now so that you will come out the other side much more successful and much more in a position to put your best foot forward again, serve your customers well, put out great food and drink, and most of all, make the profit that you deserve. It's all about putting your house in order. If you have any particular questions you can always reach out to me, roger, R-O-G-E-R, at restaurantrockstars.com. I not only offer a free 30-minute consultation, I love talking shop with other operators. If I can help you in any way, I'm happy to just sit down and chat with you and uh, see where we can go, and if I can help you further, I'm willing to do so. If you have any specific questions for any member of the panel today, either from Dennis Paper and Foods or or Hillcrest Foods. I'm happy to pass those questions on to any of my panelists that were guests today on the podcast. So please reach out if we can help you in any way. We're here for you. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you in the next episode. Thanks for
0: listening to To the the Restaurant Restaurant Rockstars podcast. podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.